Hello and welcome to the Whole and Complete Podcast, the podcast about loving God, living well, equipping you with the tools to live a whole and complete life. And I am Dr. Shante, your host. And so I have to start again this episode with a thank you because you guys are sharing this series, this podcast with your friends. And I'm just so grateful for that. I really cannot tell you how immensely blessed I have been just reading your reviews and your comments and your social media posts. I'm just so encouraged. And that just validates and confirms my obedience to start this podcast. It was very, very hard to walk away from believing bigger. It really, really was. Uh, But God was calling me to do a different thing. And so I'm glad that I answered the call. And I'm glad that you all are responding. If you haven't had a chance to rate or review this podcast, and you find value in it, please head over to Apple podcast, if you're an Apple user and make sure that you rate the podcast and please leave a review. Because if you're anything like me, you know, you need reviews in order to like, determine whether or not you're going to invest. And so if you have found value in this, please do that. I would so greatly appreciate it. And I just am, I cannot thank you enough for what you have done so far for this podcast. And so In this series, we have been talking about origin stories. So today is going to be part two of the origin story series. And so if you missed part one, you need to go back. For those of you who are new to Whole and Complete, this is a series-based podcast. And so even though every episode, quote unquote, makes sense, uh, you'll definitely get the full benefit if you listen to the entire series. And so this is part two of a three-part series. And we have been talking about origin stories and some family dynamics. And part two today is all about the code of silence, okay? So these are things that we learn in our culture that exacerbate circumstances in our adult lives. And so one of those things in my culture particularly is this notion of silence, how you cannot speak about your hurts, your pains, your traumas outside of the household and and more times than not, not even in the household. And we're going to talk about the, the mental impact that that has and the spiritual impact that that has. And so for today's episode, we do have a guiding text and it is from the book of James chapter five, verse 16. And it says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so on today's episode, we are going to be talking about Seeley syndrome. Don't speak and confession is good for the soul. So let's start with Seeley syndrome. So for many of us, we are familiar with the very famous story written by Alice Walker, The Color Purple. And I did not fully appreciate the dynamics of everything that was happening in that story until I got significantly older. But today we're going to focus on the main character, on Seely. And so if you're not familiar with that story, um, I'll try to kind of give you a brief overview. But for those of you who are, this is going to make total perfect sense to you. And so the story of In the Color Purple, Seely's story starts with this command from her stepfather who says, you better not never tell nobody but God, it would kill your mammy. And so in the book, The Color Purple, the main character, Seely, is raped by her stepfather. She's like 14 years old and she bears his children, which he steals away and kind of sells off to kind of cover up his indiscretions. And he threatens and shames her into keeping quiet by saying that it would devastate her mother. 
Now, we're not going to be talking about sexual trauma on this series. That is definitely a whole nother series that deserves its own care and consideration. So we're not necessarily talking about that today. But we are talking about this dynamic that often happens in families where children, teenagers are forced to suffer in silence. So Seeley syndrome, as I'm defining it, so Seeley syndrome is when children are disempowered, when they are shamed into silence and forced to bury hurt and trauma so that adults and caregivers can escape accountability. I want to repeat that. Seeley syndrome is when children are disempowered, when they are shamed into silence and forced to bury hurt and trauma so that adults and caregivers can escape accountability. And so asking a child to be a Sealy, asking a child to cover up, to not speak out about, to not share the pain and the turmoil that they're going through is asking that child to pay a heavy psychological toll. And many of us have been asked to pay that toll. Many of us have been Sealy's. Many of us have been disempowered. Our power was taken away when we were shamed or we were threatened or when we were abused in some way or neglected in some way because we decided to speak our truth. And so anytime that a child is asked to do that, the primary motivation is so that the adults involved can escape accountability and not be held to account for the dynamics that are happening in that household. And so Seeley's the Seeley syndrome, Seeley's suffer in silence. Seeley's do not self-advocate. And so when they should speak up for themselves, they don't. Seeley's accept abuse as normal. Seeley believes that the only person that she can talk to is God. And Seeley struggles to believe in her worth and in her value. And so Seeley syndrome, when you take that power away from the child, those are some of the things that can begin to manifest. And that's exactly what happened to Seeley in the color purple. So as adults with children, so I'm going to speak to parents right now. I'm a parent and I'm very passionate about this. So as a parent, as an adult, I have to be willing to be accountable for the dynamics and the people to which my child is exposed. So, so as adults, when we have children or children that we take care of, we have to be willing to be accountable for those dynamics. And this can be a very touchy subject because if you are a parent and you need someone to, to babysit after school or to do pickups and things like that, in other words, you are relying on the village to, for support. Sometimes you can be very hesitant to outline some boundaries about the things that you want to happen while that child, your child is in someone else's charge. Because sometimes the pushback is don't tell me how to run my house. I don't tell you how to run your house or don't tell me what I, what needs to go on under this roof. You know, I raised you and you turned out. Okay. We turn, we're going to talk about that later on in the podcast. So sometimes we can be very hesitant to advocate for our children, but we have to, we have to be willing to be accountable for the dynamics that happen in our household and the people to which we expose our children to. So that includes the language that we use or the tone of voice that we use when we disagree or when we argue the people that we allow into our homes or the people that we allow to watch our children or the things that we have hidden in the back of the closet that you think the kids don't know about. Kids are so, <laughs> kids are so resourceful. Kids are so nosy. Kids are so much further along than we were as children. And so many of us would be surprised to learn that the things that we think our children don't know about, more times than not, they do know about it. They have been exposed to it. If it's not the younger child, an older sibling may have exposed them to it. So we have to be accountable for all of those dynamics. We have to be accountable and responsible for all of those dynamics that take place. 
And we have to be truly the adults in the room. When you ask a child to keep quiet or to keep silent or what have you, what you're asking a child to do is to be the adult in the room when the fact of the matter is it's our responsibility to be the adults in the room. We cannot expect children to be adults and then get bent out of shape when Oh, they growing up too fast. So you didn't got beside yourself and you didn't got too big for your britches. Well, when you put those adult like expectations on children, you can't expect anything less. So we can't expect the children to be adults, to be exposed to all kinds of stressors or trauma or inappropriate material, and then expect them to go to church and be the perfect usher or go to school and be the straight A student or not act out or not have behavioral issues. I personally remember when I was going through my years of struggle and trauma and all of that. And even in the years afterwards, I remember all the years that I was berated or chastised for having quote unquote pitiful grades. When the fact is I was disengaged. I was disengaged because I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel valued. And as adults, as parents, as caregivers, as the village, we have to stop threatening and punishing children for telling the truth. Children in general are very honest. We're the ones who teach them to lie. In other words, we have to stop raising sealies. okay? So I was raised as a sealie. Many of you were raised as sealies, and we have to stop perpetuating that cycle because it has some very real consequences. You know, nowadays, or just even back in my day, you know, we ask our kids what happened in school or how much homework they have, what they ate for lunch. We ask them about their friends, but how often do we ask them if they feel safe? How often do we ask them if they feel loved, if they feel valued, if they feel seen? Part of the reason is that's not how we were raised. Our parents, a lot of our parents didn't ask us those questions. And so we don't ask our children those questions in the ways that that we should. And sometimes the reason is we don't want to hear the answers. And so one of the things I'm not going to do on this podcast, I'm not going to pull any punches. And the and it's not to chastise or belittle. We're in this together. I was raised like this too. And I too am responsible for stopping this cycle that's been perpetuated for so many generations. Okay. So sometimes we don't ask those questions about whether or not our children feel safe or loved or valued or seen is because we don't want to hear the answers because speaking the truth is almost always going to expose somebody else's truth. And so if our children tell us the truth and say, no, I don't feel safe. No, I don't feel loved. No, I don't feel valued. No, I don't feel seen. You know that that truth is going to expose the truth about somewhere along the line where maybe we have dropped the ball or some area where we have been neglectful or some area where we maybe were too angry or too hostile or, or scared that child in some way. When you speak the truth, nine times out of 10, it's going to expose the truth about somebody else. And so we don't ask questions that we honestly don't want to know the answers to. So we don't ask our children the truth about their emotions because we don't want to face any potential truths about our parenting. And here's the deal. We have to be willing. We have to be willing to do that work. So remember when I told you that the hardest work that you'll ever do, when I had that conversation with Christian Owens, the hardest work that you will ever do 
is the work that you do on yourself. And so when you're not willing to do the work, you can't help your child do that work. And so we need to start asking those questions about how our children are feeling. And what I'm talking about is not some quote unquote newfangled parenting. You know, I get that <laughs> criticism a lot. Oh, that's that, that's that newfangled stuff. Oh, that's that new generation. Oh, we didn't used to do all that. Or it don't take all that. No, I'm not talking about newfangled parenting. What I'm talking about is love. We have to love the whole child, not just the parts that show we've done a good job as parents, okay? There's this belief, especially in, in my community, there's this belief that if you finish school, got yourself a degree, got yourself an education, and got yourself a good job, that you turned out okay. But I'm going to tell you something. I have several degrees, and I have a great job, and I was not okay. I was far from okay. So just because your child learns to function or even to thrive in the midst of dysfunction because you produced a rose out of concrete does not mean that they are mentally, emotionally, and spiritually sound. And many of us, myself included, are living proof of that. Which brings us to don't speak. So I'm going to walk this out from a, a biblical perspective. So don't at me, okay? If you got issues with what I'm about to say, take it up with management, take it up to the Lord, okay? Because this is straight out of the Bible. So our guiding scripture, which I'm going to come back to a little bit later and kind of really unpack it, suffering in silence is not biblical. That is not God's will for our life. I want to repeat that. Suffering in silence, suffering like Seely is not biblical okay that if somebody tells you that that is a that is a trick from the pit because that is not God's will for our lives and I can prove that James 5 16 says confess your faults tell your problems one to another and do what pray for one another why that you may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person produces great results or some versions say availeth much Genesis 2 8 and the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone I will make a helper suitable for him God looked at Adam and said mm -mm, this ain't gonna work this is not a good look he needs somebody so I'm gonna create a helper that's suitable for him but key word he says it is not good for man to be alone. Proverbs 11, 13 through 14. Those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. In other words, those who are trustworthy will hold on to your issues, your suffering, your trauma with some integrity. Where there is no guidance, a people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And so that means that sometimes, from time to time, we need somebody to come into our lives and provide some perspective. Every last one of us, myself included, we have blind spots, things that other people see that we just don't see. And sometimes there are moments where people can come in on the outside with an objective perspective and say, have you considered this? Have you thought about that? Well, I notice in what you're saying, there might be a connection between this action and this outcome. Let's talk about that. There's value in doing that. That's the that's basically what happens in therapy. And also too, Matthew 18, 15 through 16 says, if another believer or some versions say, if a brother sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. In other words, if somebody hurts you, if somebody offends you, the Bible says, 
you are especially a Christian. Okay. Not somebody, if a Christian, if a brother offends you, because the Bible has expectations for Christians and the Bible has another set of descriptors for people who don't believe. So if somebody who espouses to be a Christian, say they love the Lord, offends you, the Bible says, go to them privately and point out the offense. In other words, don't suffer in silence. Don't swallow it. Don't suck it up. Don't put on your big girl panties. Don't soldier on. Don't carry the bloodstained banner. No, it says you go to them and tell them what they did to you and how it made you feel. And the Bible goes on to say, if the other person listens and confesses it, meaning like, wow, you know, I did mess up or I didn't think about it that way. I'm really sorry. Then the Bible says you have won that person back. But verse 16, if you are not successful, the Bible says take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. What that sound like to you? That sound like to me like you got to tell somebody. Not only do you need to tell the person that has offended you, but you also need to tell some other people if the person that offended you won't hear you. And I don't mean just Dick and Sally and Joe. I mean two believers because you said if the goal here is rest restoration of the relationship. That's the goal. And if you want to restore the relationship and the person is not trying to hear you privately, the Bible encourages you to bring other people, trusted people, other believers whose goal is also reconciliation, not mess. Reconciliation, not mess. It says bring them so that when you bring this to your brother again, or the person that offended you again, then the other people can say, Hey, here's what the sister is saying. Hey, here's what the brother is saying. Ain't nobody trying to come for you. You know, calm down. Don't be so defensive. What What's being heard is, or what's being said is A, B, and C. And so suffering in silence, sucking it up, taking one on the chin or taking one for the team, baby, that is not in the book. Okay, that I don't know what book you reading up out of. I don't know from the book of black relations or family generations, but that ain't in the Bible. Okay, that is not in the book. And so we have to stop patting ourselves on the back and we have to stop encouraging people to suck it up and soldier on. In other words, we have to stop encouraging people to be sealies because suffering in silence is not biblical. Whenever there is a disconnect between the way that we live and what the word of God says, there will be suffering. Why do so many of us suffer? Because the Bible says we're supposed to speak up. But what do we choose to do? Suck it up. The Bible says speak up. We choose to suck it up. And then we wonder why we're suffering. We wonder why we can't sleep. We wonder why we're overweight. We wonder why we have so many health problems because stress stays in the body when it's not resolved. Because what we've trained ourselves to do is to just take it to just deal with it. And, and if we don't, we're weak or, you know, we can't hold it down or what's wrong with us. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. I want to disabuse you of those notions right now. That is not God's will for your life. So whenever there's a disconnect between what God says, speak up and what we do, suck it up. There's going to be suffering. Whenever we try to raise our children, with values that we don't follow ourselves. You can fully expect them to disengage. Why don't they listen to you? Because you're not living the life that you're telling them to live. You know, are you the adult that you want your child to become? Because they can't listen to what we're saying for looking at what we're doing. And as believers, we have to make it safe 
and we have to encourage our children to be able to speak their truths, to speak their hurts, their concerns without dismissing them because we're not willing to be vulnerable, because we're not willing to face and embrace our truth. And yeah, it, it will hurt. Yeah, it will sting. Yeah, you know, I've had some hard conversations with my child. I'm like, ooh, okay. You know, as good of a mother as I think I am, uh, she she told me something. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I, I need to work on that. That was not my intention. You know, my goal is A, B, and C. But I didn't snap on her. I didn't snap back because I wasn't willing to hear the truth. And we have to be willing to do that. And so if we're not willing to do the work of working out our own issues okay and resolving our own issues then we make it that much harder for our children to resolve their issues and that's why so many relationships between parents and children well into adulthood are so strained now having said that there does have to be a balance okay as I said earlier I'm not trying to advocate that you go to every Tom Dick and Harry there has to be some discernment some common sense because the Bible also says in Matthew chapter 10, he says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, sometimes you have to be a little bit shrewd. You can't just tell your, your story to any and everybody that that'll listen. We can't just post all of our woes on social media. In fact, I, I really wish we would stop doing that. And it's not because and I'm not contradicting myself. It's not because you shouldn't speak up or speak out. But what I'm saying is, is that everybody on social media does not have your best interest at heart. Every friend on Facebook is not really a friend. Just because you post something digitally or you read something digitally about somebody else's life does not mean that you really know how they're doing. And it doesn't mean that they really know how you're doing. So sometimes what can happen is you put your information out there to an audience that is not receptive or doesn't have the right heart or is not in a place to be able to receive and be empathetic to what you're saying and then end up causing more harm than good because that just wasn't the appropriate audience for it. So I'm just saying, do use a little bit of discernment. Okay. And having said that, none of that, none of what I'm telling you about speaking up and all of that negates talking to God. None of this. I will never tell you not to pray. I will never tell you not to go to God. I will never do that. I'm going to tell you to pray and in a community of believers, there should be someone or someone's one or two people where you can go and confide. And even if you don't want to tell all the details, there's a way to be able to connect with people so that they can be in agreement with your mental health goals and just stand in agreement and pray with you on that. You know, I recently posted on social media that you can have Jesus and your therapist, that one did not negate the other. And this woman, she commented that a friend had shamed her for having a therapist. When she told her friend that she was seeing a therapist, her friend challenged her and said, well, did you pray? In other words, you better not tell nobody but God. When, we, when people come to us and say, I've taken a step towards resolving some of my mental health issues. I have a counselor, or I'm seeing a coach, or I'm going to a therapist. And we come back with, well, did you pray? In other words, we are being silly stepfather. You better not never tell nobody but God. We have to be more invested 
in protecting the lives of our friends than we are in protecting the legacy of our culture, especially when the dynamics are hurtful and toxic. I'm going to repeat that. We have to be more invested in protecting the lives of our friends than we are in protecting the legacy of our culture, especially when the dynamics are hurtful and toxic. Which brings us to confession is good for the soul. So I want to expand on this scripture in James that I've been referencing. I want to give you the fuller picture of what it says by going a couple of verses ahead of it. And it says, starting at verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble or say experiencing hardships? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Now, I'm an English professor. Okay, so pronouns are very important to me. Okay, is anyone among you in trouble, meaning is any one of you in trouble? But what is the answer? Let him pray? No. Let her pray? No. Let them pray. Them who? I'm gonna come to that. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer or the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So when it goes from that singular pronoun one to them, not only is it saying that that one person should pray if you fall on hard times, but God never expected us to go through this life alone. God believes in community and not community just for community's sake. God advocates for a community of believers to help one another through this thing called life. When it says If you are sick, don't just sit up there and and be suffering and sick. If you're going through hardships, don't just sit up there and suffer in hardships because that is what the church was designed to do. Now, I know several churches have departed from that and some many churches, you know, if you go to them with the hardship, they say, "Mm, well, let me pray for you, sister, and send you back on out the door with your belly still hungry and empty. And that's not the work of the Lord, but that's another series too. So we're not going to get into that today. But what was God's intention? The intention was that in a community of believers, that there is power in having a community of believers concentrating their prayers on your behalf to help you move your mountain. So even if you don't want to go into the details, you can tell somebody, pray for me, you know, or I'm going through right now. You know, if you can just lift me up in prayer, this is a tough season. There's power in doing that. And I mean, think about it. If you get trapped underneath a car, do you want the struggle of trying to lift that car up off your body by yourself? Or would you appreciate the help of some concerned passersby to help lighten the load? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody with the right spirit is not going to stand there while you're trapped under the car. Girl, what happened to you? Now, how you do all that? Mm, Now, you know, you didn't have no business out here this time of night and doing this and this and this and that. No, because when you're in trouble, there's no time to be getting into the nitty gritty of the details. The bottom line is I'm trapped underneath this car. You have two capable hands and a strong back and you can help me lift this car up off of my person. Likewise, you don't have to go into all the details and the nitty gritty of your situation for a quick 
Christian with the right spirit to be able to say, you know what, sis, I'm going to pray for you. And more times than not, when somebody asks me to pray for them, I pray for them right then. When somebody send me a text and say, pray for me, I would more times than not send them a text right then with a prayer because I don't want to say, okay, and then go off about my day and forget about it. No, you came to me and you need help right then, right there in the moment. And so Think about our issues. Some of these issues that we are trapped underneath, it may not be a car, but we're trapped underneath the weight of some issues. And so many of us are trying to push them off by ourselves and we're struggling in our own strength. But just imagine a community of believers being able to come and, and lift that car up off you. In fact, actually, I saw this recently on a video. It was on a now this video uh, of Someone, a citizen, someone had gotten trapped underneath a car and one or two people were trying to lift it. And when other people saw them trying to lift the car, they did not have a, a conference or a committee meeting or a motion resolution. I moved and second the motion that we should move this car up off this sister. No, they just immediately jumped into action. And because they jumped into action, literally, there are about 15 people that just huddled together to push this car up off of this person. It was a beautiful act of humanity. And some Sometimes we get caught up in the mental politics of, ooh, I don't want them to know and ask me no questions and da 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 Listen, if somebody asks you to pray for them, just say, okay, and pray for them right then. You don't need to know every nook and cranny about their situation to be able to concentrate your focus on their behalf. Furthermore, okay, because I'm, I'm on a roll now. Okay, so furthermore, there is science. There is science that shows the power of peer support in our struggles. So the University of North Carolina, the Gilling School of Global Public Health, they have published several reports on peer support and social support. And they have evidence that says that peer support is a critical and effective strategy for ongoing health care. It decreases morbidity and mortality rates. It increases life expectancy. It is a, shows a reduction in depressive and psychotic episodes. It reduces anxiety. It increases positive coping. Why do you think that groups like AA have been around for so long? Why do you think that there's support groups for veterans? Because these types of communities of support, people that are genuinely invested in helping people to heal, saves lives. Confession is good for the soul. You know, one of the telltale signs of abuse, and I know this from experience, one of the telltale signs of abuse is isolation. So abusers are notorious for isolating you from that peer support, from isolating you from your support system to make you feel like there are no other options. And the enemy, the devil is good at isolating you, getting you alone with your thoughts and making you think that don't nobody care about you and that you're not worthy of consideration. But the devil is a liar. Matthew 18, 12 through 13 says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep? And one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he rejoices more over that one sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Let me tell you something. You did not just so happen to find this this podcast. You didn't just so happen to find this episode. If you were raised to suffer in silence, if you were raised to distance yourself from people who show concern or ask too many questions, if you were raised not to speak your truth because you were afraid of the consequences, take this podcast episode as evidence, as a sign that you are the lost sheep that God is looking for. He doesn't want you apart from the group. You know, when they say there's safety in numbers, you know, there is, you know, many of us, when we raise our children, we say, 
okay, you know, I don't want you out there, you know, late night alone, you know, try to take a friend with you. Or we try to make sure that there's somebody that can be there, you know, to back them up or to run for help in case something happens. God wants you to know that this is not his will for your life. You being a Sealy, that is not what he wants for you. That may be where your story began. You might have began as a Sealy, but that doesn't have to be where your story ends. You can learn to trust people. You can speak your truth. You can be delivered from a toxic state of mind. Sealy found her voice. So if you know the story, you know that by the end of it, Sealy found her voice, but she found her voice when she found a friend. All right, Shug Avery. When she she found a friend that was able to support her and love her and advocate for her and let her know that Mr. was not the only option, that that did not have to be her legacy in life. So I want to lead you in a prayer that I hope will help you rediscover your voice and connect you with supportive peers. So if you would join me in prayer right now, Father God, thank you for coming after me. Thank you for recognizing my need to be found and to be seen and to be heard. Deliver me from toxic communication patterns. Give me the courage to speak the truth. Protect and support me through my healing journey with people who will understand and pray on my behalf. Help me to disrupt the cycle of suffering and silence that generations to come might be delivered. In Jesus' name, amen. So pray that prayer as often as you need to. In fact, pray that with somebody because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person, if we come together and pray that, then we can disrupt this cycle and save our children and our children's children from this Sealy business, okay? So that is the end of part two. And part three, I am so looking forward to our next guest. Penny Miller is a licensed clinical social worker, and she is going to be coming to talk to us about how Sealy syndrome shows up in our adult lives, what happens when we grow up believing that children should be seen and not heard, to stay out of grown folks' conversations, how that impacts our confidence and our relationships. And so that is what's happening on the next episode. And don't forget, hope and healing sessions are available. So at the conclusion of the series, if you want to touch base and just connect and just have a place to kind of vent some of these things that you've been processing, then we can do that one-on-one -on -one and you can go to readytobelieve.com in order to book that session. And one of the things that I'm thinking about too is just kind of having like a mini Bible session to kind of facilitate after every one of these series. So if that's something you think that you would be interested in and having a download that's available for you to kind of work through some of these issues biblically, then let me know and I'm willing to create that for you and I can make that available as well. So, you know, if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, please let me know at Dr. Shante says. And listen, the best compliment, the highest compliment that you can pay is the one that you've been paying. And that is to share this episode, to share this content with somebody that you know can benefit from it. That is just a wonderful way to facilitate this message of healing that you don't have to either have the Lord or have your therapist, that you can have them both at the same time. This is one of those situations where you really can have your cake and eat it too. As I keep saying, there is no algorithm between your fingers and your friends. Okay. So if you think that this is something that they could benefit from, or you have students or what have you, please make sure that you share this message and keep spreading the good word about this podcast. I'm so excited to keep continuing this journey with you and I will see you next time.